a podcast one production. I can't hear myself. Can you hear me? I can hear you and I can hear myself, but not very loudly. I can hear you loudly, me not loudly, but I'm happy with hello, that. Hello, 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 hello. I never know what knob to twist. Neither do I. I twist all the knobs. You know me well. You want to have sex with me? Get your knob out on the dance floor. Have we ever told this story? I don't know if we've ever talked about on the dance floor. Too many on the dance floor. So one night we were... New segment. (laughs) New podcast. One time we were at the Beresford on a Sunday and we were there longer than we usually were because we had migrated upstairs. So I assume... We were trashed too. I'm going to say that I had enjoyed a shandy, but I'm not going to say trashed. A Maryvale Brute. A Maryvale Brute. Thank you, Just. So we made our way upstairs and we went to the bathroom because Christian has a constant need to poop. That's a lie. I just have a really tiny bladder. I always need a wee. No, I would absolutely would have said you were pulling. So we go to the toilet, we do what we need to do, we wipe from front to back to avoid infection, and then we go to wash our hands. And now while we're washing our hands, this absolute gremlin. Yeah, he was tiny. Like, he came out from under the sink, and that <laughs> is the story that I'm sticking Hello. to. <laughs> Hello, the precious. Um, and was like, started to talk to us, love you guys, blah, blah, blah. No, he was cetera, literally, it was it was nowhere near that subtle. He was literally like, I saw you on a documentary about homelessness. I want to yeah. Yeah. So it kind of went like, like that. Whoa. So we, because uh, we were raised right, we did what all good children do. We nervous laughed and walked away. So we get back out onto the no. dance floor. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then go. Uh, so now we're on the dance floor. I assume we've gotten another... Um, Merivale Brew. Merivale Brew. We're enjoying uh, a Techno House remix of I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. And this gentleman taps... Well, I assume at one point he's gone and found, like, a milk crate to stand on to tap Christian on the shoulder. We turn around in sync. And he's there. And he's like, oh, I've got... This is paraphrasing. No, no. This is exactly what I'll, d- I'll be him. You be you. <laughs> I know it's going to be a stretch with your acting talent, but I'm sure we can make it happen. Right? Mm-hmm. I've got a really big... Prove it. Unzips pants. Middle of dance floor. Gets out. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. And we're doing a podcast because what we're wearing is too good for you to look at. I'm going to integrate an old se- a segment that we do and also introduce our episode. So one of our favourite things to do is actually get really dressed up to go shopping. Like we would have full-blown meltdowns over what to wear to go shop. Like if we're going if we're going to .com in Melbourne, we make sure that we're in full Com de Garçon outfits. Well, what I like with that is that we'll like go to .com and we'll also go to Gucci. So one of us will be like head to toe like Com, this like... One will be in head to toe. Like we definitely love to get dressed to go places. But getting dressed up to go to stores is... Such a big part of. Do you at find least that you're identity. greeted differently Absolutely. when you walk into a store? If you look like garbage, you get treated like garbage. I have a love hate relationship with shop assistants. How do you like to be greeted? Are you the type of person that like you want them to kind of follow you around? Does it bother you if they do? I do, it doesn't bother me if they if they follow me around as long as they engage with me. I find it quite awkward when you go into stores, particularly luxury stores, and they just lurk near you mm-hmm. quietly waiting for you to ask for help. Like if you're going to stand 25 centimeters away from me, like if I can feel you breathing on me, Please speak. Like, don't just, like, shadow me. And, and, and then every time I pick something up, say... Do you want me to put that in the change room for you, sir? No. I, I promise I can get it there myself. so much when, like, you pick up something and they're like, oh, my God, that would look so amazing on you. I'm like, well, it wouldn't because it's a pencil skirt. I was just, like, <laughs> picking it out, being like, that's cute. Yeah, I was just touching things, just touching them with my hands, just 
Enjoying I'm a it. very tactile person. Like, oh, that's my favorite piece in the store. Well, it's black pants. So <laughs> this is literally just the bag that you put this stuff in. I suppose on the flip side, though, can you think about how many people would go in there and would be such utter dickheads to the sales assistant? Oh, yeah. I love sales assistants and I love bartenders. They're my two favorite kinds yeah, of people. you always want to make good friends with them. But they're the funniest ones and they have all the good tea all on everyone. the good stories. I don't know, though, the, this... But then there is this other layer to it where I sometimes like to be treated badly. There's this great store in Haymarket called Pieces... <laughs> And it's just like a jumble store of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. And well, I remember that day we walked in there. It, the store opens at 12. We walked in, no joke, 11.58. They turned around and said, we're not open yet and shoot us out of the store. <laughs> they were also just like both of the sales assistants were just like leaning over the desk on Instagram. Yeah. And they like didn't even get up to tell us that. They just like looked at us. Once I went in there and I was like, have you got Moschino? And they pointed at a cardboard box that was full of the new Moschino collection. And I had to dig through it, like <laughs> just dig through this box. I think that alternative retail space, it's a different It's a different environment. Like the Dover Street Market in Japan, when they do stuff like that, it's, it's, it's an experience that you enjoy. Like, do you prefer to have that in-person experience with someone or do you prefer to like purchase things online? I don't shop online. I know you shop online. I don't really ever buy very much online. I always find I have issues. Either it doesn't come or like I bought a bunch of, actually bought this really cute hat a while ago. It was this beanie with ears and I bought it off Farfetch. I bought it, paid for it. And then like three days later, I saw that the money was back in my account. They didn't send me an email or anything. I didn't get any, I just got a refund. I had to email them and they were like, oh yeah, we didn't actually have the stock. And I was like, didn't think to tell me? No. Didn't FYI me about that? So I like to go in. I like a bricks and mortar retail. I think that it is when you're talking about lifestyles and you're talking about kind of brand health and DNA, those bricks and mortar experiences are really important to me. It's also where all the funny things happen. But anyway, let's play a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we'll do back and forth so that we can see who can do it better. I will start with being the shop assistant and you be the customer and then you be the shop assistant and I'll be the customer. Lots of active listening. I want to see lots of active listening. <laughs> <laughs> There's this theory in um, retail called Friedman. If just this is, I'm just going to digress for a second. And it's about like asking questions that are like not asking questions and like saying statements, so you huh? you don't you don't say like hi how are you today? You go I can see you're just browsing because it like forces you to reply to sales assistants. JB Hi-Fi used to use it. I don't know if they do anymore, but it like JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, they like force you. JB in- Hi-Fi don't even have proper floors. <laughs> like they just have like cardboard. As I if they actually writes- teach their sales staff anything. Who writes all those signs for JB Hi-Fi? You know just how they- one man in the sweatshop. <laughs> just like- just absolutely cooked off the smell of like markers. Anyway, okay, so go. So you walk into the store. Okay. Clink, 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 oh, clink. I had like a ding ding, like an old shoppy, like ding. Oh, okay. We'll put that in in post production. I mean, I suppose I do look like a um 18th century. <laughs> yeah, a pound bunch. of flour, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so you come, in, you come into my store. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, it's it's a nice day at least. It's finally fined up. I'm si- I was sick of the rain. You're so chatty. <laughs> if a sales assistant was that, like, I get a bit like anxious and weird. Like, I always feel like they're watching me and like freak out a little I bit. I am watching you. I want to see what you need. Okay, like, I want. Yeah. I'm trying to accommodate your needs and and find out what you want. Carry on. Yeah. Are you looking for anything uh, specifically today? No, I'm just happy browsing. 
Oh, you just well, um, browsing for anything in particular, present, yourself? Um, yeah, just looking for something for myself. I've just, um, you know, just want to look cute this weekend. Oh, so I'm selling clothes. In my head, I was selling stationery, but clothes is fine. <laughs> clothes I, feel like, is I feel like that's something that we should... I mean, this is a fashion podcast. Okay, plot twist. Uh, Christian Lacroix does notebooks. We're changing this podcast to talk about <laughs> one, one dance floor, two, stationery. So you're looking for something cute for the weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, have you seen any, like, trends or styles that you think are cute? Um, I kind of want to just, like, wear something a bit, like, femme-ish. I quite like skirts and stuff, but I'm happy, like, oh. just looking over here. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just going to let you browse. If you need anything, um, I'll, I can set you up in a change room. Thank you so much. I'm just going to now stand awkwardly at the counter and pretend to just reshuffle pieces of paper to keep busy. Found anything yet? <laughs> But this country doesn't consider retail a career. Like, if you go to London, the UK, Europe, like, retail is a career. Like, you get you get a job. You work your way up. Yeah, you get a job at Harvey Nicks. You make a lot of money when you get to the top. But here, it's it's a very transient state. We, we treat retail like a transient job. And we don't pay them what they're worth. We don't pay them the commissions that they're worth. We don't, we don't do that. So I don't blame them sometimes for being disengaged. It's the second biggest... Um, employment industry in this country. No way. Yeah, and yet we still don't see it as a, a viable career option long-term for people. And I wonder how we break that culture. Because it is like people like our friend Peter, who's now with Louis Vuitton, he is amazing and he is so engaging and he's so, like, kind and you feel so special when you spend time with him that my day is so much better that I then become a nicer person. Like it's infectious how great he is. And there are people all over this country who know him, shop with him. Like he's like, it's really weird how kind of, this is going to sound so ridiculous, how many like people he's like touched. (laughs) But it it Mm. has, like it's had an effect on people, which I think is funny. Like... Sure, not open heart surgery, but not everyone needs open heart surgery. Yeah. Sometimes everyone needs a cute top. What is, in my opinion, the greatest place to shop on earth? And what place really challenges me? Wait, can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Colette. No. Wrong. So that was your one guess and you got it wrong. Although the death of Colette was very sad. So if any of you have ever had the chance to travel, particularly to London, uh, a little department store was opened by Ray Calbuco and her husband in 2004. Uh, yes. uh, it is called Dover, Dover Street, Street Market. Market. Now, described as a beautiful chaos by Ray, it opened its first store, as I said, in 2004. And it exists to me more as an art gallery of culture, but in this museum, the dinosaurs are for sale. Like, you can buy it. So it is very strange how the business works. The London store is my personal favourite, so it is the one I will talk about. When you walk in, you're greeted by these giant statue cupid dolls that have their arms outstretched. And all the shop assistants at this period spoke French and very, very broken English. Like, you could, I could not speak to them in the middle of London, which I really hope has continued on today. Like, I, I hope that they couldn't speak French and they were just, like, jibber-jabbering at me. Um, they perfectly understood what you were saying. They were yeah, just being difficult. Every year they do this thing biannually. They do it once in January and once in July where they shut the store for two days and they completely 
gut and redo the store. So it's completely different. So when I went in there, instead of change rooms, they had porta potties. And when you wanted to buy something, you had to climb into this tiny little broom cupboard with the sales assistant. So you were like inches away from them. Uh, And one thing that really resonated with me about the retail space was they had these big opulent red velvet curtains that are very department store-esque, but they'd set them on fire. So they were all charred and burnt, which I think was a really great analogy for one kind of the death of retail as it is and also the fuck you to the establishment that Ray Calbuco and Comme des Garçons have always existed. Yeah. Um, when you think about it too, Comme des Garçons, it was founded in 1969. Just in Japan, she was just making women's wear. Then her first runway wasn't until 1981. Mm-hmm. So she has enough DNA to start a department store that now has locations in London, Singapore, Beijing, Tokyo, New York, and LA. Whereas department stores like Bergdorf Goodman's have existed for like 150 years and they still only have one location. She has managed to recreate the chaos that is com, market it as a building which stocks other brands. So they stock everything from super high-end runway Gucci, Vetmonts, all the way through to skateboards. They have managed to, from her brand in the space of like 30, 40 years, produce a, another home for other designers that have existed for years before well, her. Well, that's always been Com's thing, collaboration and, you know, hitting all those different targets and the fact that like fashion and aesthetics and concept has never sort of been limited to high-end things. Completely. And for a department store to have only existed for 15 years and be able to open that many doors and have no sign of slowing down while also doing nothing that a normal retail space would do is a testament to her as not only like a creative genius, but as a businesswoman. Uh, it, it And it does, it houses the best of the best to the point where Gucci, which would have never been in a department store before, now design a collection specifically for Dover Street where you can only buy it there. Wow. Um, and after the death of Colette in Paris, which was the kind of only other concept multi-branded retail space. It's the last mast to nail your flag to. Like there's no other space that doesn't just try and sell you things. Dover Street Market is a destination. I feel like it's the most biggest destination in Japan as well. Like when you go to Tokyo, there is that day that you go to Dover Street and you don't even buy anything. You just like walk around it because it is curated like a gallery and it's it's designed to make you uncomfortable and pull you out of your box and kind of shock you as a consumer into new ways of thinking. And I think that that is what retail needs. It needs some drama. It needs elevation. It needs, because that is fashion engaging with people. It's not, you know, me looking at it on the internet. Like I'm there, I'm touching it, I'm experiencing it. And if you can inject the lifestyle straight into my pocket, then you've stolen my money. Have it. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. We are three Sydney gays, but we are not the Sydney gays. <laughs> Thank God. Here with Peter. Hi, guys. Peter is actually a long-time listener, first-time uh, guest on the podcast, but you're one of the actual... And I don't mean like to be rude to everyone else that's listening, but you're one of the few people whose opinion on this podcast we actually really, really, really value. Wow, that means a lot to me. I'm very humbled just to be sitting here. So thank you. Can you tell me your hist- your work history sure. so far, just so that the kids at home sure. know why you yeah, are better yeah. than them? So currently I'm with Louis Vuitton. My title, which is a bit wanky, is a ready-to-wear expert. 
Uh, I love that. Prior to, to LV, I, I was with Gucci for three years. Uh, prior to that, I was with Hugo Boss. Prior to that, I was with Emena Gildo Zenia. Uh, say that again. Yeah, I know. You can't pronounce it, can you? I say Ermeniglio. No, Ermeniglio. say Gildo. Ermenegildo. Yeah, there that we go. That sounds sexy when you say yeah. it. Yeah, but Ermenegildo is so much more fun to yeah. say. You can always get too many dildos then you're yeah. in there, which is what we used to call it. So. <laughs> How many dildos can I get yeah. in an Italian designer's name? So what does being a ready-to-wear expert involve? Sure. Um, so Years I, of study. Yeah, years of, of, of being in the industry. This and is ready to wear now. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's subjective, but for me, it comes from a place of having a tailoring background, being trained in uh, made to measure, uh, being trained in, in how to tailor. So that in turn allows for you to have a, a, an idea of how a garment should be constructed and how it should fit on the human body. So both men's and women's. Um, my strength is men's, but uh, I'm, I'm also pretty good My strength is men too. Yeah. You no longer work at Gucci, but you completely like epitomize what I think of Gucci. Like we don't even shop there anymore, mainly because you no longer work there. But <laughs> wow. like when I think of it, you are so like go hand in hand with that experience because of the, how you treated, and sure we've become friends, but how you treated your clients. And it was such a tailored experience. Stuff is just stuff. Anyone can buy the thing. It's about how you experience it. If it's a bad or a good experience, it's going to make all the difference. What does your day look like? What's the rocks list? I generally start my day by checking all my messages, by checking what my clients are after to see if any stock has arrived. Um, from there, I will then see if anything that would be of interest to my clients. I will share with them on social media platforms. I'm growing my WeChat platform in terms of reaching out to Asian clientele. Um, so posting photos on WeChat saying, this has just arrived. Is it of interest to you? So then from there, uh, if if that indeed means that I need to spend more time to take pieces from from stock to put them aside for clients. And you obviously sort of see pieces as they come in, as they're about to come in and have a specific client in mind. Yep. I'll have one glance at something and go, that's for that person. I know precisely how it's going to fit them. I know where they're going to wear it. I know when they're going to wear it. I'll send them a photo. Sometimes they won't even come in. I'll take their credit card. I'll process it. I'll send them to their house. How does consumerism play a role in high-end luxury fashion? Um, it depends on the culture. It depends on whether you look at it as a, as a Caucasian or Asian culture. There is a differentiation between how consumerism, consumerism affects those two two cultures, I feel. Um it's, it's for the most part driven by social media, I think especially for millennials, and, and how and when they want to consume it. Yes, um, in retail, it's touched on by Anna Wintour in the September issue that everyone wants everything now and yeah. how can I possibly make the, the designers make things faster and to get them into retail stores because people want to wait less and less. Well, we're starting to see so many more designers release immediate capsule collections yeah. from when they have their runways. Yeah, um, and that will certainly be the case for more, more and more, I think, in the industry. Um, but I think good things come to those who wait and things that are good are worth waiting for. God, that was a fucking good answer, A+. plus. It's funny, when, we, when you talk about buying luxury things... It's, mm -hmm. It is the actual act of buying it that what is what gives me personally the endorphin rush. It's mm -hmm. being able to afford it, to buy it, to own it. When I'm given things, which I am from mm -hmm. time to time or offered, I don't get the same uh, euphoric feeling that you well, get. There's no from, sense of reward. Yeah, like I've worked hard, I can buy this. I've spoken to this person, I've tried it on, I've had a conversation about it. 
like everything in this moment is about me purchasing this. And that, I mean, I'm sure on some level is the height of consumerism, white But I'm right there with shit. you. I'm right there with you. I, yeah. I am part of that, that, that conversation with you. I, I, I feel the same as you do when you feel that, that rush. I, I get just as much joy out of seeing how I have been able to in some way deliver that to you. And that that's that's what it's all about for me. It's people. That's what, that's what it all boils down to. It's, it's, it's being able to connect with people. Do you think with this kind of death of conservatism mm-hmm. in luxury that the customer is treating you better? Like, are, are they starting to treat you as an equal opposed to, and I mean, definitely back in the day, shop assistants did not get treated like equals. Like Sure. Um, I am... I think now because luxury industry is booming so much, I get to choose clients. So mm. I don't have to bow and scrape to every person that walks through that door. Mm. If you're an asshole, you're not going to get the, my, my experience. You're yeah. not going to get my love because I, I come from a place of love. Yeah. So I think that's the best way I can answer that question. If, you're, if we don't connect, we're not going to connect. If we connect, I'll bend over backwards for you. Well, that is what I found too at Gucci because I would come in there and I would ask for the most ridiculous things that were three collections old that you couldn't find anywhere. And mm-hmm. because I was at least respectful to the people in there, all of a sudden they were there. Meanwhile, when you, I would see those people who came in and just demanded things and they just had to buy the slop that was on the rack. It, it, look, for the most part, if the pieces that everybody wants, they're there. It's, yeah. It's just that we're not making them available to you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best thing about working or doing what you do? The best? Um, it's experiences. Uh, I'm reminded now on the topic of Gucci being able to take care of Elton John when he was in town. Um, I got to tell, oh, tell me that story. Yeah. Um, uh, it was it was quite perchance. I had like his security cartel walk in and I'm, I'm like, okay, someone's about to come in. The store was quiet. I'm like, who's in town? Who's in town? I can't remember. Two hulking guys walked back out again. Uh, and then another two walked in with the same two guys and it's Elton. Uh, he walks in. He's very dismissive. He knows precisely what he wants. Um, what do he want? Uh, Directions to body line. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he, he was, I suppose, like a, a grumpy old man in a way. But once um, I got to engage him and once I got to show him that I came from a place of, of love and he loved it obviously because all the collection that was in the building at the same time was he, he inspired all the glam rock st- uh, uh, jumpsuits and all the ridiculous sunglasses like the pineapple sunglasses were all directly inspired by him and he worked with Alessandro Michele on that collection so I'm like what do I sell him he literally took everything that he didn't already have in his wardrobe <laughs> so it was the first day I got to take care of him he he literally just bought gifts he bought things that weren't already in his collection um, the second day he bought for his kids, but his memory of what he already had was photographic. It was unbelievable. Um, we're talking large portions of, of, of stock that he wanted to buy and take with him, but he's like, I already have it. No, yes, no. And his PA is like, no, you've got that in pink. He's like, no, I don't. I bought that in pink in Bond Street. And he's like, or yes, I do. I've already taken that in red. I'm like, how the fuck do you remember all of this? Old so, Queens. They yeah. remember everything. Uh-huh. They're, they're like the brand Stark of the gay world. Like they know all the past and they'll know all the future. <laughs> but flippancy aside, it was this genuine honour and a highlight of my career to, to take care of him and to be with him for about four hours. What's the biggest sale you've ever made straight up? Not or seen. Um, I couldn't say seen because it's probably a bit too sensitive information because that would be my recent role. Um, but the b- biggest one I've made... 
was Zenya, and I think it was 65,000. That's nuts. Board shorts, T-shirt, pair of thongs, a kid. No idea that he was one of the most prevalent lawyers of, of Asia Pacific. Shit. Yeah, and, and it, him. It, it caught me completely off guard. Because I can understand that, well, I mean, I guess a Brioni suit's 20K, so yeah. it, it's easy to get up around 65, but I mean... I have to call my bank if I spend more than two at one go. Like yeah. I'm reminded of that ratty credit card that you have <laughs> that you re- flatly refuse to. <laughs> I will not. I am with Heritage Building Society and I'll be with them till the day I die. Well, Peter, now this podcast has rocketed you to celebrity fame. You'll be a celebrity shop assistant to the stars. You can find Peter at his Instagram. We'll post it and also at the Beresford on a Sunday. Thanks, boys. Thank you so much for having me. Love you. Your phone will not stop buzzing. Oh Who God, is it? Richard. Oh, of course it is. I told you. He calls me all the time. Yeah. I just missed it. Let's call him back. Cut the umbilical cord. Lol, he's not going to pick up. He's going to pick up. He's not going to pick up. Hi, thanks for calling. Richard. I'll get right back to you. Bye. You were just on the phone. Like, did you throw it into a pool? Like, what? It's clearly it's in your hand. You were literally just calling me. He's absolutely pocket dialed you again. <laughs> like, <laughs> call me. Radical Fashionism was presented by Christian Wilkins and Andy Kelly, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search Radical Fashionism on Apple Podcasts.